Russia talking to their on-again, off-again friend Saudi Arabia about cutting production. All that and more on this Energy and Materials edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. Sean O'Reilly joining you here from Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Thursday, January 28th, 2016, and joining me to talk shop is Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman. How's everybody doing? Hello, hello. Everybody uh, enjoy their blizzard experience this past weekend? Most snow I've seen in my entire life in 24 hours. Well, yeah. Juice King? No. <laughs> no, I did not. I'm going a couple times this year, but unfortunately yeah. not this past weekend. Everybody uh, watch Netflix? I actually left town like, before. You I did not. Where'd yeah. you go? No, I actually went up to the mountain so I could <laughs> ski all weekend. <laughs> and got me out of town, and I showed up on Sunday evening and I, had to shovel out my driveway. My next door neighbor, I know the building put like little snow notices, like safety, whatever protocols in the, the door knocker, and it, there still isn't down. So they left town, and they're not back yet. And mm. I'm kind of like, it's clear now, guys. It's, it's safe to come back. Like so, it, it was the, that was the most surprising thing. Like I grew up in New England, kind of used to snow. The one thing that I didn't really realize till I got down here, there's no place to put it in. DC. Dump it in the Potomac. Like there, that's all we got. Like <laughs> all the all the neighborhoods, there's no place to put the snow. So they, if you get any, what the heck are you gonna do with it? The planning was bad with the whole. Um, so really quick before we get started here with uh, a bit of earnings news, um, do you guys see the news this morning that Saudi Arabia? Publicly just flirted with the idea of maybe talking to OPEC, and of course it sent oil up a bunch and all this stuff. Yeah, well, it's it that happens. Do you oil, think Putin's running out of money? <laughs> yeah, oil's up like five percent. Oh, all right, to go. Yeah, all right. Shows you how much we really <laughs> okay. pay attention to the, it's, the, the daily it's, the daily movements of oil. As, as long term foolish investors, we're not supposed to pay attention to daily moves. But it was just funny that Saudi Arabia was kind of flirting with their on again, off again friend Saudi Arabia. But anyway. So uh, we've gotten a decent number of earnings reports out for uh, the energy and industrial sector, and I wanted to obviously just dive in and see if uh, any stood out to anybody. So Taylor, Mm -hmm. um, any anybody sticking out to you so far? Well, yeah, Core Labs is a company I own, so I pay attention to it whenever they report. Um, Not just because I own it, but because they typically have a pretty good understanding of what's going on in the oil and natural gas They're basically, for our listeners that don't know, the world's favorite oil consultant. Yeah, they they use data, technology, science, chemistry, all these different mechanisms to to determine the best way to produce oil or natural gas from individual wells across the world. Uh, Not only originally produced, but also production enhancement is a big part of their business. And that's the part of the business that suffered the most um, in this last quarter. You look at the total revenue down 7.5%, but enhanced revenue uh, production or enhanced production segments revenue down uh, 13%. So almost double. It doesn't sound that bad. I no, mean, correct me. But <laughs> that's also going up against a relatively tough comp in 2014. So we're, right. we're, we're done with the, the hard 2013 comps where oil prices were soaring. We're starting to see comps against a, a rough 2014. Um, and so, that's why it doesn't seem like only 13 Yeah, because they were flat, yeah. essentially, in yeah, the yeah, third yeah. quarter of 2015, down 7.5%. So quarter after quarter, they are down. Um, and so a little tougher for them. And the production enhancement segment deals mainly with shale and offshore. So we're talking about some of the more expensive oil to produce at the moment. Obviously, um, those are two segments that are going to see some decline if oil prices remain at $30 a barrel. Now, CoreLab's CEO has been one of the more bullish CEOs, and he just talks about decline rates mm-hmm. all day long and everything. Did you catch anything new from him at all? 
Um, not necessarily on decline rates, but he did say that he expects a V-shaped recovery just to begin in the back half of this year. So look for maybe late third quarter, early fourth quarter, in his mind, to right. see some recovery. And not just a slow U-shaped recovery. I mean, it's they either go V or U in the oil markets, as all people ever refer to. Um, so he's looking for a relatively sharp There's recovery. There's nothing in between. It's either a V or a That's U recovery. Yeah. You can't have any. It's all black no, and white. No W, no Y, no X, just V or No U. Js, none of that. No. <laughs> Uh, so he's expecting a sharp recovery relative to what other people yeah. are expecting, uh, including Slumberger, who Tyler, I think, is going to yeah. chat about a little bit. You, you you spoiled it. What the heck, man? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, uh, All right, so Tyler, what do you have to say about Slumberger? Slumberger <laughs> in the buck here. Probably, if, if we want to call CoreLabs the optimist, I guess Slumberger was a little bit more of the pessimist. Um, on the earnings basis, kind of the same thing. Some low hurdles to jump over or actually not jump over. Their fourth quarter revenue was down about 9% sequ- uh, compared to actually last quarter. Um, and uh, margins, uh, pre-tax margins, are down to about 16%, which doesn't sound great considering you know over a year ago they were in the high 20s. So they're having to, they, are they having to cut the same prices? Or what the, why, why is that? There's a little bit of – well, a, a lot of it has to do with activity decline uh, in in certain sense, where you know, if you look in like the land rig market in the United States, you know we there's only about 680, 690 rigs compared to 15, 1600 right. that we had more than a year ago, a, yeah. eighteen months ago. Yeah, and so you have that of just idled and lack of sales, but you're also seeing uh, one of the things that CEO Pal Kipsgard actually did mention was that we're they're seeing lower prices on contracts. Um, certainly, ExxonMobil and Chevron have mentioned this, where they're getting about. 20, 15 to twenty five percent savings on their uh, service contracts, in terms of like their day rates and things yeah. like that. So that's where you're start- starting to see a lot of the declines in margins and in sales. And um, you know, on that sixteen percent, it doesn't sound great coming down from the high twenties. But I mean, putting it in a little bit of perspective, if you compare them to Halliburton, Baker Hughes, uh, Weatherford International, they still have at least uh, seven to eight percentage points higher on their pre tax margins. So you know they're having a good time in comparison to the rest. It's not great, but you know. And then on their outlook, uh, a little bit of echoes of core. I mean, not as optimistic. They were saying that in 2016, in the second half, we'll start to see that recovery in oil prices. But they they're actually saying that it won't lead to increased drilling and service activity. There's going to be some until, conservatism until 2017, there, right? Know. And one of the biggest reasons was the fact that. Uh, a lot of these producers just have obliterated balance sheets and they've got to throw some cash back at the business itself before they're ready to take on anything new. Well, plus it's like, you know, we're at 30 bucks right now. And even if it went back to 60, there'd be some kind of like, okay, is this for real? Because we got, you know, flirted with last spring. Well, (laughs) yeah, last spring we went to 60 and everybody, you know, not everybody, but there was a small handful of companies that wanted to kind of open the pipes up again. I know Pioneer Natural Resources was one of them. Right. And, you know, that just kind of backfired on them. Yeah. So, cool. Uh, So, anybody know who I So, Oh, yeah. We we, didn't segue into yours, but Sean, do tell. I was curious what Caterpillar had to say. Um, They are stuck in the midst of a three-year bear market for commodities. And up until 18 months ago, oil and energy was the last holdout for their their machinery and everything. And that's just not, you know, it hasn't panned out either. Uh, So they actually reported this morning. And uh, the earnings were actually pretty good. They beat a little bit. But, uh, I mean, obviously revenues and everything were down. Um, Revenues came in at $11 billion, down from $14.2 billion in Q4 2014. Um, They reported a loss. 
loss of 15 cents per share, but um, they would have reported uh, profits, gap profits of 74 cents had they not taken like a $900 million hit from restructuring costs. So, I mean, you investors really should keep that into account because any large organization like that, they're going to have restructuring stuff all the time. Like, you shouldn't really take any credence to that 74 cents per share number. But anyway. Um, management talked exclusively about how tough it is out there, and they just went on and on about how they're cutting costs. That's literally like half their half their call, half their press release, everything. Yeah, Schlumberger laid off a lot of people, but Caterpillar's been laying off people it's, for a couple of years now. It's getting hairy, yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, I was really interested in what they thought about their 2016 outlook. They do not anticipate any bounce back in any. I mean, they're obviously not just in you know oil machinery; they do copper, all the mining machinery, and everything. And uh, they are not expecting an improving demand picture at all for their equipment. Um, they call for sales and revenues around forty-two billion, and gap earnings per share. I was happy to see this of three fifty per share. So, not the worst. In the not world. bad. I mean, what was it? What was it this year? I think total year was somewhere in foreign change. Yeah, so foreign change. So it's not the worst in the world. So, I obviously Caterpillar is a cyclical business, just like everything else here, and we'll probably see a little bit of a a lag on pickup on equipment, similar to like we were talking about with drilling yeah. activity, where. They're probably not going to be buying any new equipment until prices go up. Got to pay your bondholders back first. (laughs) Pay pay the debt and stuff like that. But at at today's prices, if we're looking at, um, you know, as a long term investor, is is their value kind of baked into shares nowadays, or do you think maybe? Perhaps maybe hold off. And that's when I went into this because I'm like, oh, we're at the bottom of the cycle. Things are getting really bad. Maybe it's a buy now. Um, They're 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 trading at 59 bucks and change this morning. It's up like one and a half percent on earnings. It's down from I think 110 a year ago or something. It's 52 week highs, well over 100. Um, But you you heard me say the the guidance for you know 2016, which is 350 shares. So they're trading at 16 times forward earnings. Um, I think that is more than fair, given we don't know when things are going to rebound. We don't know when earnings are going to rebound. Um, the market multiples nineteen or twenty right now, so I think it's fairly valued. Fair enough. So, all right, moving on. Sean's uh, dun, dun, dun. first foray into deep analysis on the show. I'm calling. Hey now, we should get hey some. Now. We should get some feedback on emails. How did Sean do? I, I Save that fair. for the Major League Baseball draft. Cat. Yeah, right. What are we calling that, by the way? Oh, yeah. Anyway. Um, Next story. Uh, Royal Dutch Shell and BG Group, their deal got finalized, but the real question is now what? 80% of shareholders approved the merger, thinking that management would be able to make something of it. Obviously, things have not been going well in the oil and natural gas markets, BG being a natural gas player. Uh, Is it too early to call this a failure, or did shareholders really truly get burned for their trust in Royal Dutch Shell's management? Taylor, what do you think? Too too soon. Too soon? Yeah. I mean, they're not expected to double their LNG production for a couple more years through this deal. Let's give them at least a little bit of time to be one company. You know, yeah. they're, they're not together yet. It's still in the approval process, so let's give them time before, before they don't shoot themselves in the foot or they do shoot themselves in the foot. Right now, they haven't done anything other than yeah. make an offer and try to solidify it, right? So. And everything's twenty twenty in hindsight. Do you think, given what we know now, you know, natural gas is at two bucks, all this stuff. Do you think maybe they should not have done it? Given what we know now, you, I mean, know, you know, you I guess you can compare uh, Exxon when they purchased uh, what was it, XTO, XTO Energy, yeah, yeah, back in two thousand ten, and then natural gas prices fell off a cliff. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of granted they didn't buy it in the middle of the downturn, or at least Shell thought they were buying maybe in the downturn at the at the bottom. Turns out it wasn't the bottom. Um, but I could only see upward movement from here. 
over fingers the crossed. Yeah. yeah, fingers crossed. Exactly. Cool. I think the LNG scenario for them will be pretty robust. I mean, there's calls for over the next two or three years that it won't be that great. But you know, let's look beyond that because, like you were saying, a lot of their ramp up is going to be a few years down the road. The the one so on that end, I think they're actually going to be pretty good. But offsetting that, one thing that worries me a little bit is going to be. When you combine these two companies, they have a very high exposure to deep water uh, production, especially in places like Brazil, which is long tail, high cost. Exactly, and that's one of the things that um, certainly. Well, I'm not going to say that we're going to stay in this low price oil environment for a long time. I think in the next couple years or so, we are going to see some sort of recovery because at right now it's pretty unsustainable in terms of development and anybody actually making any money. So, But beyond that, these high costs of places like Brazil, uh, you know, Shell already nixed its Arctic exploration programs, being tied so heavily to the deep water um, production is going to make me a little bit nervous when we have shorter cycle, cheaper options like shale oil, shale gas that are starting to emerge that, you know, Maybe that's not the that deep water isn't going to be as attractive as it looks today. That's my only concern. Cool. Before we move on to our mailbag question, I wanted to point our listeners to focus.fool.com where they can take advantage of a discount on the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter that works out to $129 for a full two year subscription. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And our mailbag question of the day comes from Joseph Crivelli, uh, who writes to Sean, Tyler, and Taylor. I have a boy say that five times fast. Um, I have an oil question. Given that the U.S. has advantages you've all discussed in the past regarding our possession of advanced oil refineries and high quality oil in the ground, I wonder if you might add some color to the nation's relative strength in one or other end markets for oil based products. What does the U.S. pie look like sliced up into for various other oil product families? Do non-fuel uses of oil color our domestic and new export market potential? We tend to reflexively think fuel products are the most important drivers of the domestic oil product, but plastics and other products may be even more important for faster-growing domestic oil uses. How important are these other uses for crude? Yours, Foolacy, J.C. Can you repeat uh, the question? Yeah, I can't. No. <laughs> Honestly, you know what? I'm going to just boil it down for you. Um, it's kind of like that scene in The Graduate when Dustin Hoffman gets told that he should get into plastics. Fair Is enough. that the future? Is that a big deal? Um, <laughs> you know, it's still going on. So it's been a good run for Dustin Hoffman if he did get in that, into that market. I don't know <laughs> what his future held after that the happened movie, in. Uh, but, didn't. Uh, uh, George Bailey's friend get into plastics for World War II or whatever, and it's a wonderful life. Like, ah, oh, George, put all well, your money you're, in. You're our... really throwing it back to something. I like, I like good old movies. I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> These well, are I, two I American the, classics. I, I the graduate uh, over New Year's on my flight back from from Portugal. And you probably saw It's a Wonderful Life at Christmas. No, so. I did not. See you didn't. That. No. Only Why the do you graduate. hate America? Only the graduate. Why do you hate America? Um, yeah, plastics. So. Uh, in the international scheme of things, oil does impact plastics because you can get ethylene from, or naphtha, I guess, turns into ethylene somehow in the whole formulation. Uh, <laughs> uh, but in America, we're producing um, ethylene at record, near record rates for us, uh, thanks to natural gas booming. Um, so, 2014, you saw the U.S. have a tremendous advantage when oil was over $100 a barrel. Um, so, on a global in a global platform, we're not quite as competitive anymore 
because oil prices are in the $30 a barrel range. So naphtha is now cheaper to produce um, in parity with, with ethylene here. But long-term, we have this natural gas supply that we could use for decades. Um, so you see companies like Dow Chemical pouring billions of dollars into facilities down in the Gulf region um, to take advantage of this. And I think that that's going to probably continue. The money right now is being spent, so these plants aren't necessarily coming online, but we're producing uh, it's over a million, um, what was it? I had it right here, record levels of ethylene in America. The, the aggregate number doesn't necessarily matter. It's a, it's at a record. So um, I think that long-term, that's going to be a competitive advantage. Right now, oil prices came back, so it's not necessarily, but this is a long-term thing. Right. Uh, Tyler, you're saying something interesting upstairs when we were talking about the show. Well, it's kind of on the same idea as the fact that um, with such cheap natural gas, I mean, even at 30, surprisingly... Wasn't we st- it 13, like, five years ago? 13 what? $13 per BTU for natural gas. Oh, for gas. natural gas. Like, at yeah, the peak I'm, in 2008 well, that, or something. That, yeah. that was quite a while ago before yeah. the shale yeah. boom took off. But what what really Taylor is getting at is kind of like that oil and gas spread price. And I, I believe that at right around eight to, eight to nine times... Um, the price of gas. So if you multiply price of gas by eight to nine times, that's about the equivalent when you're looking for naphtha and ethane, ethylene production. So even at today, there's a slight margin. It's not as certainly as great as it used right. to be, uh, like you said, at 100. But uh, kind of going back to Joseph's question, you know, do we have any opportunities of using oil in that regard? And if you look at the way that oil is used in the United States and almost everywhere else, the the portion of pie of oil that is used outside of transportation is rather small. More than 70% of all oil goes into um, petroleum. It goes into transportation. So if you're looking to make a play, I guess you could say, in the non-transportation aspect of oil, it's a very, very hard niche to invest in. I mean, just buy Dow Chemical at that point, right? Well, they're actually trying to... But they're moving to natural gas anyway. I mean, if you look at... All of these companies, and if you want to really think about how to get into that realm of plastics or the non-transportation aspect of petroleum and hydrocarbons, you know, look at the investments right now. The investments are all in natural gas in the United States uh, as a nat- as a feedstock, and if that's the way you want to make a play on it, we're the know. Saudi Arabia of natural gas, haven't you? Well, yeah, Dow's trying to make like from 70% of their ethylene coming from the U.S. to about 80 to 85% of it coming from the U.S. over the next few years. Yeah, CP Chem, which is a joint venture between Phillips 66 and Chevron, multi-billion dollar ethylene facilities down on the Gulf Coast. Exxon Mobil is looking to more than double their production down there. I mean, there's companies left and right going down to the Gulf and just uh, setting up shop with these massive chemical manufacturing facilities. Cool. Okay. All right, so we're going to do a little round-robin uh, question for everybody. Uh, what storylines are you following in the most recent earnings season that is now well underway? Who goes Who goes first? Anyone? I'll go first. Draw straws? Okay. Um, I follow big oil a lot, so obviously I'm, going to, no. I'm definitely going to be watching how the big oil players um, do this quarter and how they start looking at 2016. Typically, we don't start to see their like analyst day presentations where they release their budgets until like March. So maybe not. For this a is couple... when they go to New York. And yeah. Do their little dance so and, that's when yeah. we'll start to see what's going to happen uh, in the coming year. But sometimes you get a little bit of hint of what's going on in the, uh, on their conference calls in the coming one. But at at prices today, you know, we've seen companies Shell, ExxonMobil, Chevron. They've really been struggling. Uh, 
at meeting their capital obligations, uh, Chevron especially, because they're spending so much on those large projects like Gorgon and Wheatstone. Um, are they going to be able to um, maintain it all the way through 16 without significant deterioration of their balance sheets? Cool. Taylor? Um, you want me to so just, just continue to watch margins. we got to continue to wait and see some normalization at the very least. I don't expect any expansion, but maybe the 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 reduction in margin starts to slow down. And then also, who cuts their dividend this quarter? <laughs> somebody, <laughs> somebody's, turn is it? somebody's cutting their dividend this quarter. Right, I just don't make that, know How about we make that a oh, game? Let's man. make that a We're game. We're going to do that next week. No, hold week. on. We're going to make that a game for our listeners. Okay. So email us email in, us, yeah. or tweet uh, at, at us. Or tweet at us. It doesn't matter. Energy Find yet. us somewhere. Yeah. And uh, email us. Tell us what company you think is going to win or is going to cut their dividend this quarter. Um, we cool. got some Motley You cool will get, at the very around, least, right? a shout-out on the show by name. It'll be awesome. The very least. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We can't guarantee swag without clearing it. I don't know. We can give a hat out. Fine. We'll give a hat out. <laughs> Um, I'm particularly interested to see um, companies have been cutting a lot of capex as we are all fully aware like hundreds of billions of dollars um, however this came along uh, with some impressive efficiency gains last year which pretty much kept production I mean the US lost 500,000 barrels a day but we're still over 9 million at last count so um, we're starting to see 2016 budgets come out as Tyler mentioned so I'm you know, expecting deeper cuts, but I'm extremely curious to see where companies think their production is going to be for this year. Um, this question came to mind for me because um, Continental, led, led by the one and only Harold Ham, came out and said they're cutting capex again this year by like two thirds or something, sixty something. Yeah, sixty yeah. is crazy. But they only they actually think that their production's only going to drop something like ten percent, and they think their natural gas production is actually going to go up. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So. I don't know if That's they're just an outlier. They're capture or... more of their flared natural gas. Yeah, so. whatever. Anyway, I, I'm slightly apprehensive. Do you think I, they're an outlier? I, I, it's not or... that I don't want to. I distrust anything that he says, but this is also a guy that back in 2014, when oil started to decline, completely wiped out all of the hedges on his yeah. company to protect cash flow, saying this is unsustainable. Well, now we're 18 months later, and it's still going, and on. it's lower. It was a wrong bet. So yeah. I'd like to see him make some right bets before I really start to trust right. what's going on with him. Cool. All right. Well, that is it for us, folks. If you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at, at, at uh, industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on this program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.